So we continue right here in the book of Romans, the epistle of Paul to the church at Rome. We are in chapter 12, which means we've been engaged in this for nearly 50 Sundays uh, in this study of Paul's letter. So many times in this study, I have faced the challenge of helping us. Uh, I was supposed to refer to my picture. <laughs> uh, yell at me, Deb. This is a picture from yesterday. Uh, this is uh, in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. There's Jim Ludwig. There he is right there. And uh, man, that's a good tan you got going, Jim. Uh, and uh, and, and me and Beth, and that's Jerry Richardson with his new bride, Diane. And uh, so we were rejoicing and celebrating with them. I'll make reference to that later because it's relevant to our study in Romans 12 today. So, as I was saying, so many times I faced the challenge of helping us understand what is being taught in Romans, you know, concepts that are somewhat difficult, reprobation and justification and propitiation and predestination. Today, not, uh, not so hard to understand but very challenging to live out. Today we read a passage that contains what I consider sort of a shotgun blast of exhortations uh, to us about how to live in the context of the Christian family. And before we read it, I want to recognize that our passage for today assumes, <clears throat> it assumes that you, as a Jesus person, will be living in community, that you will be part of a church not just an attender, but part of, that you will be in a faith community where you are known, where you know others. There is all this language in this passage we're going to read about one another. Paul sort of gives us a quick overview of the rules for living in God's family. Now, maybe you grew up in a home that had uh, family rules, and maybe, uh, maybe they were posted, like on the refrigerator there in, in the kitchen. These are the rules of our family. Not a bad thing to do. There are things that you want to govern your group, your family, your team, your office, and your church. It is good to keep a list, a set of reminders about how we want to relate to one another. One passage, or our passage for today, it's that sort of list. Last time, we looked at spiritual gifts in the previous verses, at the way we connect with each other in executing the mission of the church. Today, we focus on the values that we want to permeate our fellowship. And so we read, starting at verse 9 of chapter 12 through the 16th verse, hear God's word. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So that passage has about a dozen things to be doing. And I, I could preach a dozen sermons on this passage, but I'm going to move us through these in one brief message today. Otherwise, I'll never get to Romans 
13. But before I get to our delightful dozen, I just want to want to take a step back <laughs> and look with you um, at the forest instead of at any of the particular trees. What do all of these admonitions that we just read assume? And this relates to what I just said a minute ago. There is a certain context for which these admonitions become relevant. And what is that? Well, it is the context of the local church, the faith community, the body of Christ, as it functions on a micro level. All of these presume that you are in a local church where you know people and they know you. I don't see any way around that. The one another's Paul describes in our text and in many other parts of his letter presumes your engagement with a local church. I, I offer that as a challenge to some of you as you read this to consider whether you are in biblical community in a way that the scriptures direct us so to be. Now to our dozen duties. Uh, we will call them the devoted dozen, as that word devoted is found two or three times in our passage and is implied throughout. First it says, let love be without hypocrisy. The next verse says uh, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The other ten things that we're going to talk about really are simply applications of the general idea that we are to be a community marked by mutual love. Indeed, for you Philadelphians among us, it is family love, you know, that brotherly love. Everything else is an application of that, a way to show our love. But let's do a quick survey here. Who here is in favor of love? Huh? Anybody here? In fact, raise your hand if you're in favor of love today, huh? Wow. You know, pretty much everybody seems to be uh, in favor of love. And on this question, if, if we took our survey tomorrow night at Heinz Hall, uh, it would yield pretty much the same results as we have here, right? Christian or not, everyone is a fan of of love. Of course, we define it differently and we express it differently, but in theory, we're all agreed and because of that it means that love is a virtue, love is a disposition that people will learn to fake. You understand that? <laughs> we all want to be thought of as loving, so we will figure out what that sort of looks like and try somewhat to display that. For that reason, Paul calls for love that is real, that is not pretend, that is not hypocritical. Next, we, uh, we move on in our text to read something a bit different because the next phrase says, abhor what is evil. All right, time for another survey here. Who here is pro-evil, huh? Anybody here in, uh, like evil? A any big evil fans? Uh, to love evil, well, we think that's wrong. Uh, the New Living Translation translates it this way, hate what is wrong. Uh-oh. Well, there's another interesting word similar to abhor, that word hate. Now, you're, you were pretty much all in favor of love. Yeah. How do you feel about hate? Who here, <laughs> who here is pro-hate? Huh? Huh? A little slower to respond, I see on this one. We got, we got a few takers on, 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 on pro-hate. Well, listen, the Bible just commanded you to hate. Let me ask again. 
I won't ask again. Uh, in a fallen world with real enemies, love requires hatred of those things that threaten what you love. You understand that? Are you a hater? I certainly want to be. God commands that I hate evil. He commands that I hate sin. He commands that I hate injustice. People who speak against hate without any qualification aren't thinking very deeply. I remember when a family member who is not a believer drove up to our home with a bumper sticker on his car that said, hate is not a family value. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? What was, uh, what was that supposed to communicate to us? Well, I believe that was supposed to let us know that those who oppose certain lifestyle choices that this individual had, had made are not truly loving. You know how that goes. If you disapprove of my choices, well, obviously you hate me and all that are like me. We are in the minds of some, not allowed to love, but disapprove. That's not allowed anymore. But clearly, the persons, think about this, the persons who love us most are the ones most opposed to our poor and destructive choices, right? Think about your parents. Think about your spouse. <laughs> love, yeah. Approval, Maybe, maybe not. I, I think of this organization, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Angry moms. And what are they angry about? People whose bad choices endanger their children. They, they hate drunk driving and drug pushers and human traffickers. Rightly so. As our minds are transformed into the mind of Christ, we too will grow to love what he loves and hate what he hates. Now, my friends, these things are not opposed. Indeed, they go together. What's it say? Love what is good or cling to what is good, abhor what is evil. So that's the next phrase. We come to one of my favorite words, that word cling. Cling, verse 9 again. Cling to what is good. So there is, there is good and evil after all. That's because we have a God who defines those terms, and we learn as we grow to let go of the evil and cling to the good. Now, what, why this word cling? The New Living Translation says hold tightly, uh, but you get the idea. The reason for holding tightly is the danger of losing something that is, in fact, valuable. The implication is that we have things and we have beings that want to rob us of the good, that want to pull you away from that which is good and healthy and right. Is that true? There are things in this world that want to pull you away from that which is good? Oh, my, yes. And uh, that's, uh, pull that slide down. That was two seconds too early. All right, what does Mike Tomlinson emphasize with all of his ball carriers? Now, Deb. <laughs> you know, first rule, you don't drop the ball. Ball security, that's job number one for anybody that has the pigskin because it is precious 
And what you need to let folks know is that there are 11 strong guys in your immediate vicinity who are well paid to take that thing away from you. So wrap those arms around that ball. Now, how much more true then? With spiritual treasure, you cling to what is good, and the goodest of all is Jesus and your relationship with Him, which is why one of my favorite expressions, and you can put this up now, Deb, is this. Say it with me. Cling to Jesus. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Verse 10 of our text. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We've spoken about love. Now let's look at honor. That's a cousin of love. The New Living Translation says, take delight in honoring each other. Philippians 2 speaks of treating others as more important than yourself. That's a critical family value. We usually tend to do this with special guests in our home, right? But for those we live with, well, then you get careless, you get sloppy, you take each other for granted. Our natural selfishness takes over and we forget. So this is a reminder to say to each other in so many ways. You are the priority here. You take the cheesiest slice of the pizza. You get the most comfortable chair. You sit up front. Now, in, in two weeks, we have a big event here to honor the pastor and his wife, and that's good, and that's appropriate. But as you do that, we are going to want to honor you. Life in the body of Christ is to be an ongoing honor fest, as it should be in your family and in your office. Verse 11 is the zeal verse, the zeal verse. We're actually going to come back to this in a couple of weeks for a few minutes. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So you get the picture here of a hard worker, an enthusiastic servant. Uh, and some of you come immediately to my mind. 1 Corinthians 15 also comes to my mind. That passage roots our service in the resurrection of Jesus. We have a risen Savior who has called us into mission, and there's no place for laziness. Verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Well, what's the first word of uh, first, verse 58? What's it say? <laughs> therefore. And the therefore, you've learned to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, and it's there to connect this reality with the resurrection of Jesus, which is the topic of 1 Corinthians 15. And then after talking about the resurrection of Christ, why it's a big deal, why we believe it, this is the conclusion. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, <laughs> knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And by this, this engagement, this fervency of service, we bless others who are with us serving the Lord. There are those in our body who have especially blessed me over my time as pastor through their words. They speak encouragement to me. They send emails. They send cards 
to say thanks. Others may not do that, but they serve. Uh, they are working in the church nursery. They lead a care group. They enlist to be a deacon. And I am blessed by that as much as the kind words. Two more thoughts on this one. It mentions serving the Lord. Who do we serve? Whom do we serve? The Lord. That is, it's not exclusive <laughs> uh, from serving each other, no. But each of you individually needs to grasp where your loyalty is to lie. You are Christ. He is the master. Many I find in kingdom work are doing it for other people. They're doing it for the pastors, some of them. They're doing it for the kids. They're doing it for their friends. Problems occur when these parties, however, do not express enough appreciation. Or maybe they don't care for how you're doing your work, and then so often resentment rises. Motivation wanes. Why is that? It's because you had an idol. You were not doing it for the master, keeping focus on whom you are serving. That's crucial for maintaining motivation, for maintaining joy in your service. Then the first thing to check on when you find that you're losing energy, uh, when you're, when you're, when you're, is, uh, is your motivation. When you, when you say, oh, I'm growing so weary, I'm kind of done with this, check your motivation, check your master. When it is for Jesus rather than others, You won't grow weary so easily in your well-doing. You can continue fervent in spirit because that which brought you into that place of service will be there continually because Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. People, not so much. My second and final thought on this concerns uh, how you can stay fervent in spirit. Normal human experience <coughs> is for enthusiasm to wane. Sometimes the waning is accompanied by disillusionment. It's accelerated by disillusionment. We are admonished to be fervent in spirit. How can you maintain that? How can you keep up the zeal? Well, that's a tricky thing, but I'll propose the following. You surround yourself, you surround your eyes and your ears with those things that remind you of your motivations, that remind you of your purpose. You surround yourself with people who share their zeal with you because this stuff is contagious. I'm looking at Mark and Nancy. Uh, we shared dinner with them the other night, and they were talking about their previous church where the pastor hated, hated football on Sundays, and so he never, he never would speak about football in his sermons. And they came here, and they're like, the pastor's talking about football in the pulpit. It's like a desecration. <laughs> and here I go again. So... I watched some college football yesterday, just a smidgen. That team in uh, Indiana was playing, you know, and, uh, and I, I, it's good to have it back on Saturday afternoons. The, you know, falls are wonderful in that respect. But, you know, you look at college football teams, and, and college coaches are masters of motivation in this way. You see, you have to figure out how to get young men to push themselves constantly to... Uh, to new levels of intensity, to approach every game, 
as if it was a championship. What, what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you build up a brotherhood in which one player picks up the other. You expose your, your team to heroes past and heroes present who can inspire them. You describe the desired results of their striving. You capture their imaginations. If you were to go into the locker room of any big-time football program, you would be surrounded by all kinds of things designed to inspire and preserve and maintain that zeal that's needed every single day you walk out to practice. Verse 12 then speaks about something else, our rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is faith directed toward the future. Sometimes for us who believe there are present tense reasons for joy, at other times we have to look ahead to find the ground of our joy. Always there is calls for joy. Always. That is why it is good for us, wise for us, to think of and speak of and sing of heaven often. We will dance on the streets that are golden, the glorious bride and the great son of man. It really concerns me how few popular hymns there are that are focused on the glory to come. We need that hope to sustain our joy when the circumstances of today tend to drain our joy from us in mansions of glory and endless delight. I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. <laughs> and a little song we don't sing but I really like says, and with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye, then go in peace and laugh on glory's side and fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. So let's help each other rejoice in, in hope. And, and then it says to persevere in tribulation. To persevere in tribulation. Hey, kind of sounds like believers may have to endure the tribulation, huh? <laughs> Uh, we won't go there. Fixing your eyes on, on the glory to come will help uh, with that as well. Persevering in tribulation seems to suggest that faithful hearts can't outlast the trials. Think of it. Whatever you're going through, it will all be better. I guarantee it will all be better in just 90 years. <laughs> Just you wait and see. Persevere. <laughs> and then pray. Part of loving your brothers and sisters, according to Romans 12, is that you pray for them, right? Are you doing that? Well, may, maybe, maybe not for all 400 people that consider North Park their church home, but for the 80 or so that you know. Do you have a prayer list that includes your church friends and your church leaders and our missionaries? Are you praying for each other in your care groups when you meet together? It says devote yourself. Devote yourself to prayer. Maybe this is the one point you can take away today in order to make a positive change. Develop a system to pray for those you know who are in the body of Christ. Then there is 
provide. We're on a P-roll here, persevere, pray, provide. It says contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Use what the Lord has given you to bless others. A brother needs a car? Well, we can spare a car. A sister needs a place to stay? We have a spare room. Maybe the Lord can use us in those ways. And so many of you are doing this very thing. May the Lord continue to use you in those ways. Verse 14 we'll look at next week. Uh, yeah, next week we'll look at verse 14 about dealing with those who are hostile. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. <laughs> and I, I showed you the picture of us uh, rejoicing with Jerry uh, and his wedding just a couple of years ago we were weeping with Jerry at the loss of his wife uh, and I, I'm going to repeat a story I told a few weeks ago but many of you weren't here so here goes uh, uh, some uh, <laughs> there's a Saturday in, in our lives a Saturday in the life of Grace Presbyterian Church of Ocala Florida somewhere in the mid 1980s the daughter uh, of an elder in that church was getting married marrying a Christian young man. They were headed to the mission field together. Wonderful, wonderful. But a few days earlier in that very week, the daughter of another elder in that church, a mother of four, took her own life. Awful. On the Saturday of the wedding, the church gathered in the morning for the funeral. Probably the most heart-wrenching funeral I have ever attended. A four-hour break, and then they gathered together again for a wedding, a party. Now, unusual, sure, that's unusual, but we are called to support both families, right? One we support with tears and hugs and consoling words. The other we support with smiles and hugs and positive words. Here's the thing. In fellowship and community, our joys get magnified and our sorrows are diminished. That's for sure. As part of the church, our joys are magnified in our sharing of them. As part of the church, the burdens of our trials are shared. The problem, you know, with, with a large family is that at any given point, somebody is in crisis, right? Somebody's going through a hard time. We really enjoy those rare moments when everything seems to be just fine. But honestly... That's, that's not real life. Some folks cannot handle the weeping with those who weep. And so they become hermits to avoid the pain. But a hermit life makes for a very small life. Now, this obviously, all of this really assumes, again, that you know each other, I mean, to some extent, so that you know who is weeping 
You know who is rejoicing. You know who is facing new opportunities and who is facing fresh trials. If you're to help the saints with needs, you have to know who they are. So again, does your relationship to your church allow you to live out Romans 12, 15? And finally now, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Twice that verse mentions your mind. Go back to Romans 12, too, where we're told to be renewing our minds. It also says not to be wise in your own estimation. Everything flows out of our thinking. When it is straight, our behavior will follow. When it is crooked and twisted, it will show up in our choices. So much of what we have read here involves our actions, <coughs> but those actions are always tied to our thinking. So examine yourself. Are your thoughts all about you? How to advance you? Or are you thinking of others? How you can be a servant today? Are you thinking of your Lord? Are you thinking of his calling on your life? His will for your day? And so we come to a close for today. Uh, this is a message I would have never delivered in my seminary homiletics class. Uh, it's a shotgun sermon. That's what I call it. Uh, the idea is I'm just sending out a spray of bullets. I hope something hits you. There's no one specific focus of what I've been covering here, but that's the nature of the passage. The danger with that approach is that maybe nothing will stick. So I ask your help in this regard. A dozen duties probably too much, but could you pick one? If you can't decide between three and seven, pick them both, but pick at least one uh, that you're going to seek to live out more faithfully in the context of your church life. And then make a commitment to walk according to that value in some way, some specific way. Be too easy to leave here today and go, okay, another day, check the box, go home. No difference in my life. A dozen things the apostles given us. Find something to make a difference in your life starting this afternoon. And finally, I ask, uh, where is the gospel in all of this, huh? Where is Christ in this? He is there in each and every person who is truly a member of his church. You serve because Christ is in you, and you serve others because Christ is in them. You remember that conversation Jesus had with Peter? Simon, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Take care of my people. That is how you'll serve me because I am in them and they are in me. So we don't follow these family rules because we are committed to a Judeo-Christian ethic. 
or just because we think they're going to lead to a better society. No, we do them in response to the grace of Jesus. That is why the fount of all this brotherly goodness is the Spirit at work in us, the Spirit at work in our thinking, renewing our minds to make us like Jesus. So although this is about rules in the family of God, it is ultimately all about Christ. So let's pray in His name as we close. <laughs> Father, we would not miss where this passage is found in the book of Romans. Here, after so many chapters of telling us how greatly and deeply you have loved us through Christ, and now you're simply saying to us, love my sons, love my daughters, love my little ones, love my older ones, love my hurting ones, love my happy ones. And Father, we would be faithful servants of yours to do exactly these things. So I pray for my brothers and sisters today that each of us would hear your Spirit's voice whatever it may be, the need to serve in some way in the body of Christ when we haven't been before, the need to press on through our difficulties, the need to be devoted to prayer. Maybe there's things we have that we can contribute to brothers and sisters or to the ministry of the church. Maybe there's hope that we need to share with one another through a song or through a verse or through a note or through a prayer or through a hug, whatever it may be, Lord. We pray that you lead us and guide us to this one anothering that is described here. And Father, we pray that you would build up the body of Christ through this kind of expression within our own community. And may those who come in among us see this love and desire to be a part of it and join with us as we persevere through the trials and difficulties of this life, serving our good master and looking forward to the day when we will kiss this world goodbye and dance with you on streets that are gold forever and ever. And in hope, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.